can you give us a uh, three, two, one, like a, and then we'll get started? Actually, Sean, I prefer a one, two, three. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> on the count of three, or on the count of one. How does this? How does the? How does it usually? What's the idiom, Josh? How does it usually get said? Does anyone ever say, "Okay, on the count of one"? Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. I'm Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists. We were just talking before this, and we were certain when we started recording this this podcast, which has gone way better than we anticipated, we were not going to have enough material to record 20 full episodes of The Minimalist Podcast. We were thinking maybe it could be, you know, a dozen episodes or something like that, but the questions keep coming in. And this one is about travel today, which is perfect, perfect timing, Ryan. Uh, The day that we are recording this, we are getting ready to hit the road, and we're going to be on the road for about five weeks. We're going to 13 different cities all over North America, and we are packing light for, for this. Now, we've, we've learned a lot over the years, ever since we became the minimalist. Let's, we should probably start, before we get into a bunch of questions and stuff, let's, let's talk about our experiences and mishaps a little bit. So our very first tour was back in 2011, uh, around Thanksgiving. We, we hit the road, and so uh, we had a book come out called Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. And, and with that book, we went... Over the course of 18 months, we went to 51 different cities. We did a bunch of different legs, so it wasn't we weren't on the road for 18 months or anything like that. But uh, around Thanksgiving of 2011, right when that book was coming out, we, we hit the road for four cities. And so we started down in St. Petersburg, Florida, and then from there went to, I think it was Orlando, Atlanta, and Knoxville, Tennessee, yep. right? That's right. And when we got, we, so we were already the minimalist. We had simplified our lives. We were, we were living the minimalist dream. We were so proud of ourselves. We really were. <laughs> and then we, we drove down to St. Petersburg, Florida in our tour bus, which is Ryan's Toyota Corolla. And we, we get down there and we open the trunk of the car and it is full of stuff. We packed, I mean, we each had a suitcase I had a garment bag for some... I don't know why, but I brought my one remaining suit and put it in a <laughs> garment bag. Well, you never know if you're going to have to go to a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> I would never go to your funeral. Good. <laughs> you know, so we, we, we had this whole trunk full of stuff. Uh, so I, I had a suitcase. I had a, a, like a carry-on bag. Even though we were driving, I had a carry-on bag. I was carrying it on the car, I guess. So the car was pristine. It was clean. There was nothing in the car. But you open up the trunk, and it's just jam-packed. There's a suitcase full of stuff, your suitcase full of stuff, my garment bag. We each had a carry-on bag. I think you had a laptop bag. And, and so there's this trunk full of stuff, and it turns out we were packing all this stuff just in case. And this is where we first came up with that now famous just-in-case rule, what we call the 2020 rule, right? Yeah. We realized that we got down. Oh, we're going to be in Florida. I should pack 
an extra pair of swimming trunks yeah, just wh- in case these get dirty. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. I, get, I need to pack an extra toothbrush. Like, what if I lose my toothbrush? Right. There's <laughs> nothing I could possibly do to replace that toothbrush. And and so we came up with this uh, 2020 rule. And here's the cool thing about the 2020 rule, the just in case rule. And we decided we're going to spend the rest of the tour packing only the items we needed. We're not going to pack any just in case items. And, and so. We spent the next year and a half, we'd go out on the road for four or five days at a time, maybe a week at a time sometimes, and we, while we were on the road, we would pack only the stuff we needed, and if we needed something that was just in case, I'm going to pack this just in case, we knew we could replace it, or at least we thought we could replace it, for less than $20 and less than 20 minutes. Now, many people are like, oh my God, that is such a privileged stance. How, you, you can't just go around replacing everything that you need and spending $20 here, $20 there. Well, guess what? You virtually never have to use the rule. Between the two of us, in the last six years, we've had to use it five times. That's less than $10 uh, a year for each of us. You know, we're spending a you dollar know, a month in order to be able to let go of all this superfluous clutter in our lives. And so that rule that started as a road rule for us then transferred over to our home as well. And so I've, I think I've found that as we travel more and more, I learn a lot about what I truly need, what I enjoy, what I want, what, what I like to experience, and I'm able to bring that back to my home life as well. That's one of the biggest benefits of travel for me. So we, we spent that time on the road with our first book, and then in 2014, we, we hit the road. Uh, this book came out called Everything That Remains. It's a memoir that Ryan and I wrote, and when we hit the road, we had learned a lot up to that point after traveling a lot. And we hit the road with just one carry-on bag each. And there's a great video about this. It's from our documentary, Minimalism, a documentary about the important things. And part of that it was following us around on tour. And each of us packed a carry-on bag. So, so many people, Ryan, asked about that bag. You know, Now, when you and I, we both had the same bag. It's from a company called Malcolm Fontier. And it is a now defunct company. So I'm sorry that... Uh, so many people wanted that bag. It's a phenomenal bag. I've had mine for years, and I just got a new one uh, recently, a new bag. Other than that, because we've been on so many tours, I've beaten the hell out of this bag and finally decided it was it was time to, to after many years, upgrade. You had the same bag for a long time, and when Colin Wright was traveling with us, we all three had, <laughs> had the same bag, and it kind of looked like there was a, you know, a, a traveling cult <laughs> on the road. You knew my bag because, like, all the little leather things on the zippers were all ripped off of them. <laughs> That's how I could tell mine apart. You're a bit more rough on uh, <laughs> on your goods. Yeah, I don't know why that is, man. I am, like, so rough on my stuff. It's not even, like, I intentionally try to be easy on it, but but still, somehow I just, like, wear stuff out really easily. Well, you know, uh, it's because you're a, a big, burly man. And, <laughs> and That's what I like to tell myself. <laughs> yes. So I, I, I think that... So many of you have asked about about that bag, and I'm sorry I don't have a, a good answer for you. I'm trying a new bag, and so uh, if you want to check it out, I think we'll probably be posting some stuff online, on social media, on on the Twitters, and on Facebook, and uh, we'll do some behind-the-scenes video on Periscope, and also on, what's the other one all the kids are using? Instagram. <laughs> yes. Yik-yak. <laughs> no, I don't think we'll be on Yik Yak. <laughs> but we're going to be on the road a lot, right? And so... I got this new bag by a company called Manol. Now, I'm not recommending that necessarily. I'm not telling you to go out and buy a new travel bag. Uh, but if you are interested in, in, in taking a look at, at what I'm using, I, I supported their Kickstarter. They, uh, our friend Leo, who is in our documentary, 
he he recommended this this travel bag uh, by by Manal. This is their their second iteration. So they had a, a well funded Kickstarter. A couple of guys from uh, New Zealand, I believe, and uh, they've created this really wonderful bag. That's going. I think it's thirty five liters or something like that. That is a great travel bag. Probably larger than I need now. After we record this podcast, I am going to. Um, I'm going to go home and spend about 10 minutes packing for this tour. We're going to be on the road for five weeks, and it's going to take me about 10 minutes to pack on the tour. So let's let's real quick, let's talk about what what we've learned. So we were on the road in 2014. We did those 10 months. We, we learned a lot about what I need, what I don't need, why am I packing this extra stuff. But there is some stuff that actually might surprise some people in terms of what we travel with. So what are some of the things that, that might surprise people that you travel with, Ryan? Uh, well, we got to travel with good coffee. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, that, that was part of the video. Like we, 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 every time we go to a city, we make sure we find really good coffee. Uh, but that's because we were just tired of crap coffee. Well, yeah, that's kind of it. It's like you go to these cities, and uh, some of them are just coffee deserts. And uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not above the gas station coffee. But if I, I can am. find a way... <laughs> Some of us aren't. If I can find a way to consistently have awesome coffee, uh, then I then I definitely go out of my way to do that. So yeah, we would. It, it was great because we kind of had this very very simple uh, uh, setup with a pour over with a, a kettle, a very small kettle. It made a you know boiled like twelve to sixteen ounces of water at a time, and we'd go to these coffee shops throughout the United States, Canada. And we'd pick up some really good beans, and we'd be able to kind of carry those on the road and, and have, a, have a little memento from that city uh, that was actually bringing us value. You'd be so, happy to hear something. I, I got us a hand grinder for the road this time. So that we really? Don't ha- yeah. You've been so against the hand grinders. Yeah, I, I have been, except uh, uh, Joshua Weaver. Uh, the, the he talked per- you into it? He really did, yeah. yeah. The, the person we – so we, we started a coffee shop down in St. Petersburg, Florida, earlier this year called Bandit Coffee Co., um, you can find them at theminimalists.com slash coffeehouse. You can check out a little photo tour we did down there. But one of the, the co-founders of, of that coffee house, he really talked me into getting a, a hand grinder mm. for on the road. And I used it a couple weeks ago when Bex and I went out and stayed in that container house in the middle of nowhere out in Montana. And we had some great coffee with us. So uh, Sean, our fearless producer, is here with us. He'll be on the road with us as well. And so... Uh, in terms of packing, I've, I've already encouraged him to pack very light. This is his first time going out on a whirlwind tour. But when, when we were on the road in, in 2014, we brought the coffee kit. Uh, in fact, Sean, if, if you don't mind, let's put some, some uh, links to exactly what that looks like. So we have a, a V60 pour-over. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a couple just portable coffee cups that go with it. actually came with the little kettle that we have. And it goes into this neat little, it almost looks like a dob kit or some sort of toiletry bag. We bought it in San Antonio. Yeah, I was going to say, we, uh, that's, exactly, that's exactly it. We were at this coffee shop, and we were like, man, such good coffee. I wish we could bring this with us. And like, lo and behold, they had this like, little travel kit that you could buy. Uh, we didn't buy the whole travel kit. We just bought the pieces that we needed. Right. But yeah, it certainly has helped out a ton. So we'll, we'll bring some really good coffee with us. Uh, I just ordered some dogwood coffee from my, my favorite roaster in the United States. Uh, they're in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And so we'll bring some of that. But... As Ryan said, as we're on the road, we'll, we'll pick up different, you know, different coffee along the way. Uh, I'm going to pack some T-shirts. 
I'll, I'll be wearing an outfit. So I'll have my one pair of jeans with me, my pair of boots with me. I'll have a pair of workout shorts that also double as swim trunks and, and just regular shorts. Uh, so I find that one of the, the keys for me is, is packing items that function as more than one thing. Now we're going to be traveling in late spring, so it could potentially be cold or a little bit chilly in some places. So I'll have my jacket with me. I assume you'll have a jacket with you too. But mm-hmm. but what, what what else are you packing that may not be a surprise or that might be a surprise? Um, I, I don't know, man. I mean, it's pr- pretty normal, pretty normal stuff to what you have. Toiletry bag. I guess, I guess a hair dryer. Like I, some people give us crap for having hair dryers, but dude, when you got to be on TV in front of millions of people, sometimes uh, you, you gotta you gotta have some tools to to look presentable. In front yeah, of I'll tell you, I, I packed a hair dryer even when I was out at the container house in the middle of nowhere. I <laughs> <laughs> now that does not surprise me at all. <laughs> yeah, you know, for me it it makes sense and we always say does it serve a purpose? Does it bring you joy? And and yeah, it serves a purpose for me is I, I want to be able to dry my hair relatively quickly and and not have to worry about it. Well see it the that's rest key to being a, a a good minimalist is having extraordinarily amazing hair. Yeah, even if you're Leo <laughs> Babalta and he has no hair, it looks awesome on him somehow. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he has a hair dryer. You don't think so? I doubt it. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay, we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit more about everything that, that we're packing, but I'll tell you this. It's going to take me about 10 minutes to pack. I'll throw some T-shirts in there, some underwear. So I pack for about a week usually, right? I, I don't know if, if you're about the same, but I'll, I'll pack for a week. So I'll, I'll throw six or seven T-shirts in there, six or seven pairs of underwear, uh, six or seven pairs of socks. I'll have be wearing my jacket that I have with me. Uh, I tend to pack one pair of shorts. Yeah, I've got seven shirts, seven pairs of underwear, seven socks, seven pairs of socks. Not seven socks, but seven pairs of socks. Uh, I, they are mismatched, um, which kind of helps me out because when you know one sock wears out, I can just throw that one away. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like that's how cheap I am. <laughs> it's funny because like some stuff I'm not cheap with, but like socks for some reason, like I just look at them like. Why do they have to match? I could get some plain white socks. I guess it wouldn't matter if, you know, one went bad or not, but that's kind of boring. But, uh, yeah, no, that's it, man. I got a week's worth of clothes. Um, but then it, it, I've had several people ask, like, well, how do you keep up with laundry? Well, there's a couple ways to do it. So our friend Leo, he is, like, an ultra-minimalist, and he lives the same way that he would travel. Now, he has six kids, so he he doesn't travel all the time, but he washes his clothes in the sink if he's at a hotel or an Airbnb yeah. or wherever. So he'll wash, he'll have one or two additional T-shirts with him and, and like an extra pair of shorts, and he washes it and lets it dry overnight. I don't do that. No. And my experience with you is you don't do that either. So often we'll stay somewhere that has a laundry facility. Often we won't, and, and that's okay because there's usually a laundromat somewhere within a 20-minute radius of wherever you are. I don't know what it is, man, but I love me some laundromat time. Yeah, it's well, and now it's not like when we were kids. When I grew up, I, we never had a washer and dryer my entire life growing up. And we went to the, the every weekend, we went to laundromat over at Colony Square. And we, there was really nothing to do. You just sat there watching laundry, and it's a weird meditative experience. But as a child, it's the most boring thing in the world. But now they have TVs and Wi Fi, and it, it's like a playland. I, I, it's, it's unbelievable. But so, so, yeah, I wash my clothes when I'm on the road. And, and so you can do it in a sink, you can find a laundromat and do it. Uh, you can allocate you know, an hour or two of your time to do it. But 
I think it's important to not overpack to realize that you can wash what you bring with you. And if I'm if I'm going to be gone for only two or three days, I'm going to pack two or three days worth of clothes. I'm not going to pack seven, eight days worth of clothes. Yeah, I mean, within a week, I know for a fact, while we're on the road, especially in the United States and, and Canada, uh, within a week, we're going to come across some type of laundry facility. So I, I don't really stress about doing laundry. And I know, worst case scenario, I could go the Leo route. Like, if I really needed to wash a shirt, um, I could totally do that in the sink at, at a hotel or whatever and let that dry overnight. So certainly... Uh, planning planning ahead like that planning a week's worth of clothes like that has helped me out so so much because I did used to bring nine ten shirts on the road uh, trying to go as long as I could without doing laundry but then that gets mixed up too it's like well I still have four shirts left but I don't have any underwear left so now I have to figure this out but and I'll tell you one thing that uh, tends to surprise people and we have a whole montage of footage of this I think of me ironing my shirts <laughs> while we were on the road last time. And it's just because I was wearing a button-up shirt throughout the entire tour. And I, I just alternated between it was two or three different uh, denim button-up shirts that you'll be able to see throughout the documentary. And it's just I'm constantly ironing because it, it's an easy way to, if your shirt doesn't smell but it's a little wrinkly, you just iron it out and it looks really good. <laughs> I've never seen anyone get so much therapy out of ironing. I actually I enjoy it, man. It's it's a meditative experience yeah. for me. I have a really nice iron. In fact, we when we were on the North American part of the the tour, I brought my own iron with me because we were in our <laughs> we were in your car the whole time. Yeah. And I'm like, some of the, ho- the hotels we stayed at, or sometimes th- that's the thing too. We would stay at people's houses. We'd stay on couches. We did couch surfing. We slept in the car a couple of times. We've done all of those things. We slept on people's floors, and so there there wasn't a consistent way to make sure I was ready to iron this time. Uh, I'm packing only T-shirts, so this will be a different experience for me. I might need some. some Are you pointers. stealing my outfit? I well, I I might be stealing your outfit. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> walk out of the hotel That's all right. room naked. <laughs> <laughs> Josh stole my outfit again. Nice, the official minimalist uniform. It's funny how we started in like white t white button down shirts, and now we've gone to black T-shirts. Yes, <laughs> the, the transformation has yes. has happened. Yeah. No, I, uh, people often ask Ryan about, I mean, and you heard this on his solo episode as well. I mean, it's the number one question Ryan gets is like, why do you wear a uniform? And it's like, well, it's easy. It's one less decision, but it's not a uniform that he feels uncomfortable in. It's not like he's wearing an oversized pink sweatshirt with tassels. It's, although, you know what, the Stoics, some of the Stoics talked about this, where the, I believe the, the, the garment of the day was to wear like a, a blue robe or toga or whatever the, the uh, equivalent was. Uh, and and I don't think it was Epictetus. It may have... Uh, I, I don't remember which Stoic it was, but there was a Stoic who wore, intentionally wore you know, a different bright color, like a purple robe, just to, to just so people would ridicule him. And he realized that if this is the worst I have to deal with, then everything else in life is easy. Mm. And, and so... For me, no. I, I like to wear clothes that, that make me feel comfortable. I also, they have to be functional, especially lately for me. I've been doing a lot of physical therapy. I'm doing three to four hours a day. And so I'm wearing like a pair of loose workout pants right now. and Yoga and pants. Yeah. They, I'm just kidding. Well, <laughs> they're not, when, when you say yoga, I, I think technically they would be called yoga pants. When you say yoga pants, I conjure up a, a different Yes, image. no, that's what I was trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> These yoga pants make my legs look great. 
Uh, no, I, and so when we're we're traveling, we're gonna have very little on the road. I mean, we each have a backpack, and our computer fits in that backpack. Now, full disclosure, Sean will be with us, and so he'll he'll, he'll be carrying some equipment with us uh, as well. Now, that's sort of the number one rule when you're a minimalist is you just find someone who's less of a minimalist and you, you pawn all your <laughs> you stuff off on to them. them. No, Are we like, gonna have to. Uh, this is like the first trip we're ever gonna have to like actually check a bag, isn't it? Because of the camera, because of the, the camera that, equipment, yeah, camera equipment and microphones and I stuff. I don't know, Sean. What do you think? Give me. We don't see. We don't trust Sean with a microphone, so we make him <laughs> nod. <laughs> oh yeah, because he's he's much more intelligent than us, and he'll make us sound stupid. And so uh, yeah, we we just we, we just make him nod up and down. And, yeah, and he's saying we might just be able to carry it on. Never mind. I take that back. We still have gone on tour without ever checking a bag. Yeah, which is pretty nice. And, and so I try to pack as lightly as possible, but those two questions come up all the time. Does this add value? Will it serve a purpose? Will it bring me joy? And and even if so, if it serves a purpose, do I truly need it while I'm traveling? Because it's such an attenuated time frame. And often I will, I will pack things that double up. So I mentioned the shorts that I can swim in or, or exercise in or just wear as shorts. But then also... I have a Kindle at home, an e-reader, but while I'm on the road, I don't necessarily need that because I can use my my phone. There's a, an app on there that works really well, and I can use that to read as I want to, and that allows me to not have to pack an additional item and, and sort of weigh myself down. So I try to pack as few things as possible. It's not about deprivation, but I realize I can go without for a while. Also, a toiletry bag. We, we, we both have toiletry bags and pack shampoo and deodorant and toenail clippers and all the regular stuff. Here's the thing. I think you'd be surprised. I mean, we, we travel with all the regular stuff. We just don't travel with excess stuff. Everything that we travel with, we actually use. When I used to travel all the time, when we travel for work or whatever, I, you would pack all of this stuff that I ended up never using. I have four or five shirts I didn't wear when I went on that, that uh, uh vacation or I would pack um, the extra swimsuit or the, the the big toiletry kit where I didn't use most or most the of extra stuff. suit yeah. yeah yeah it's like well why do I need two suits when I'm traveling and and the truth is there are some people who may but I didn't and so now everything once I get back I've used every single thing I brought with me you know why you pack two suits is because you wanted to have options which just made me think that if you're if you're packing to give yourself options, uh, you've got the wrong wardrobe, <laughs> because you shouldn't you shouldn't uh, be deciding oh what what's what's going to look good on me like everything everything you have already should look good on you right yeah. right and so when you're traveling, having having fewer choices allows you to make that decision more swiftly mm-hmm. and then enjoy the experience of actually traveling. Having fewer things means you're not as weighed down by the stuff. And you're able to enjoy the moment a lot more. Our first voicemail question today is from Grace in Maryland. I'm planning to study abroad in a year or two and would like to take most everything I own with me, but I use just about everything that I have, which is way more than the two suitcases I'd like to take with me, like on an airplane. Um, How should I proceed in reducing my stuff so I can make the more stressful, minimizing decisions now instead of at the last minute right before I leave? Grace, yes. You've got got some circumstances changing. You are moving on to a new season in life. And this happens to a lot of people. This isn't 
This isn't just when maybe we pick up and, and move across the world. This could be if we maybe go off to college or if we have a child or if we get married or whatever. There are definitely these seasons that we go through in life. And I know when I go through a new season, I've got to reevaluate what's important to me. Uh, what are my priorities? And it sounds like right now, Yes, you've got a lot of different priorities. So that couch that you're using now, yeah, you're going to have to make a decision with that. You're not going to be able to bring that couch with you. That dining room table that uh, you and your friends eat at every single Friday night, uh, you're going to have to do something with that dining room table. You can't fit that in the suitcase. So where I would start, if I was you, Grace, is really defining what are your must-haves. What is it that you absolutely need uh, this, this makes me think of the likes, wants, needs list uh, that Josh and I wrote about quite a while back. Start with, start with what is it that you absolutely need on this trip? And then, and then list out your wants. What is it that you want to bring with you on your trip? And then decide whether or not that's going to align with this new season in your life. But as with any change, as with any uh, major change, when we are bringing in another person in our lives or with a major move, whatever it may be, certainly our needs change. So yeah, this is a time to reevaluate those needs. As you're going through that list too, I think what you'll find out is you, you said, Grace, that, well, I use everything that I want to bring with me. Do you really? Uh, to, uh, I'll speak from my own experience. I thought I used all the stuff I wanted to cling on to, but I wasn't actually using it, right? I, I wasn't using it as much as I thought I was, or I was going to use it one day in a hypothetical future, but I wasn't actually using it all the time. And so, as Ryan said, you're going into a new season, or maybe there's two ways to think about it. Our friend Rob Bell talks about graduating versus divorce. Now, in this case, it sounds like you might just need a divorce from some of the stuff if you, it's not bringing any value to you. But if some of the stuff is bringing value to you, you are moving into a new a new place in life, and that means you're graduating from that stuff. And it's okay to let go of it because you are, are graduating. You're moving on to something else. And when you move, it doesn't mean you can't bring the new things back into your life. You can, but you can do so very deliberately in the future. But by letting go of the things that you have now, you'll be able to find them a new home. You'll be able to let those things add value to someone else's life here because it sounds like it's going to be very difficult or maybe potentially very expensive for you to move a lot of that stuff overseas. Now, I, if you find it a new home, I think that's a lot better than finding it a storage locker over the course of the next two, three, four years. I know many people we've talked to on the road who have had a storage locker for more than 10 years. More than 10 years, a $22 billion industry, and your stuff's just sitting in there not adding value to your life, not adding value to anyone else's life. In fact, one could argue that it's extracting value from your life because it's, it's always there, sort of on the back of your mind. You're thinking about that storage locker. So that is not a good solution. What a good solution is, is finding the stuff a new home. That means selling some of it. You can get some money for it, certainly. Craigslist, eBay, or a bunch of the apps that a lot of our listeners have, have recommended on, on past episodes are a great way to get started, or just to let go of it. There's a bunch of really wonderful nonprofits in most cities who are more than happy to find your stuff a new home for you, so let them do the job so you don't have to. But as you're moving on to this, to this new time in your life, I want to say congratulations. It may be the right time for you right now because it's so far in advance you're thinking about it. You don't have to make any immediate decisions right now. Why not practice, though? Remember Ryan's packing party? What a great time to have a packing party, right? Now, if that's too extreme for you, why not have it in one room? 
and, and see what is the stuff that I actually use. That will help you identify what you're using versus what you think you're going to use. Yeah, I, ha- I have a lot of uh, starving artist friends who move around quite frequently. And what they will do with the things that they find really, really valuable. I'll give you an example. Um, I got a friend, Rebecca, who has these really nice bookshelves. Um, she literally went around to her friends. and She's like, hey, I got a nice pair of bookshelves. Does anyone need bookshelves? Um, you can borrow these. I just need them back uh, when I you know, come back to Missoula or whatever. And she would go around and find someone who needed uh, that particular item, and they would put it to good use. Um, I could tell you what I did before I moved out to Montana. I would not recommend doing this. Uh, I put like a bed, I put a washer and dryer, and I put um, like a chair in my in my grandma's garage. These very basic things that I thought when I come back to Ohio, because moving out to Montana uh, for four years now, going on four years was not the plan. I thought I'd be out of here six months. So I just kept the very basic, expensive necessities that, that I, I wanted to hold on to. And when I went back to Ohio, realizing that, oh, wait, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to come back to Ohio anytime soon in, 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 the, in the foreseeable future. So I sold it all. I got rid of it. I had a garage sale. I had some like boxes with, you know, different necessities in it. Um, I just like sold, like I didn't even open up the boxes because I knew as soon as I opened up the boxes, I was going to want to keep everything in there. So I sold mystery boxes, like literally just labeled them $1, $2, $3, $4. Love that idea because it gets other people excited too. What might be in here? When you sealed them up and it says $5 on it, you had no idea what was in it. And some of it was like... Some of it was great. Some of it was like a bread maker or not a bread maker, I'm sorry, like a juicer or a, like a mixer type thing. Uh-huh. Um, uh, somebody got like all my... I had, like, some old kitchen stuff, like, you know, cans of soup. and Bag of flour. Bag of flour. Like, yeah, like, just some... Ha- and he was so excited, like, no, man, I'm totally going to use all this. So, yeah, it, it definitely gets other people involved, but... You know, what's interesting about that, Ryan, is these are things that you used in Ohio, but you were no longer using them once you moved out to Montana. Mm-hmm. And... When, when we're talking to Grace here, realize that there are some things that you, you use now, but you may not use them in your new life. Once yep. you've graduated to this new place, you may be using different things. You may graduate beyond the stuff that you enjoy right now. Yeah, it was really hard for me to let go of that washer and dryer. Like, it was the nice, like, front-loading washer and dryer that I bought when I was in the corporate world. Right. And I'm like, man, I got to hold on to these. It's a really nice washer and dryer. I know I'm going to uh, use these. And it turns out the places uh, that I have uh, rented while in Missoula, they have washer and dryers. And if they don't, there's, like you said earlier, there's our laundry mats everywhere. So I was able to let those go. In fact, I let those go super, super cheap to someone who really, really needed them. I mean, I think those washer and dryers, I mean, brand new were well over, you know, two or three grand. And I sold them literally for like a hundred bucks a piece uh, because there was a person who I felt like, wow, they could really need this or they could really use this. They need this. I'm going to give it to them really cheap. And I felt much better about uh, giving them to someone who was going to use them than having uh, my grandma hold on to those in her garage and take up storage space uh, in her home. Our next question is from James in Los Angeles. Well, I'm going to be making a move pretty soon to Portland for school, and I'd like to do a no-U-Haul kind of move which means I'm going to have to drastically downsize even more than I've done so far. Um, What suggestions do you have for that? Uh, I don't have much, but I have more than a suitcase. Uh, And I've got a cat, a terrible, terrible cat. So anyway, uh, any advice that you have would be greatly appreciated. 
Well, I, I, we can talk about what we did when we first moved out to Montana. I moved out just like a few weeks before Ryan did. So let, let's talk about that whole process of, of coming out here. So in the summer of 2012, so four years ago, we were driving through Montana. We had never been to Montana. We were driving back to beautiful Dayton, Ohio, my favorite city in the world. And we were driving from Vancouver, B.C., which is just gorgeous. But like it was the end of this tour, and we were just ready to get home and, and be back in one place, right? And so we were driving through Montana, which, by the way, takes nine or ten hours to drive through. We'd never been to Montana, and, and so we're like, okay. We'll just get through the state. We we actually went to sleep in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and we even rented a hotel, and it was way expensive. It was almost like two hundred dollars for one night. And I remember Ryan, you were asking the the guy at the at the uh, counter there, why is it so expensive? And he's like, you're in Coeur d'Alene. I'm like, dude, it's midnight. We're gonna get up at six a.m. and leave. I just need somewhere to sleep for six hours. He's like, you don't understand. You're in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and Ryan's like, I don't know what that means. And so. We paid the money because there was nowhere else to stay and because we were tempted to just sleep in our car. Cause, but we had done that so many times we were on tour. We it's had to like, get a good okay. night's sleep. Well, yeah, we yeah. were driving through Montana the next day. We had to get some good rest so we'd be ready to drive. And then we wake up the next morning, and it's the, the lake there in, in Coeur d'Alene. We're right there on the lake, and it's like, oh, this is why we have to pay. You know, the people. This is a tourist town in the some summer. Some of the most beautiful scenery. Yeah, Coeur d'Alene is gorgeous. But then we got to Montana. And somehow, it was even more gorgeous. As soon as you hit that, you literally uh, exit zero where you see the, the Montana state sign. It's like it somehow got more beautiful as we crossed into here. And we, we both kind of looked at each other. In fact, the, I remember the moment we were, we, the, that really sealed the deal for me. We stopped in, first off, we stopped in Missoula, which is, a, Missoula, which is about 100 miles from the Idaho border. And, and we got coffee, we got some fish tacos, and there was just really cool culture here, and, and, and it was nice. But then as we, were, we left Missoula, summertime in Montana, there's this little waterfall that uh, <laughs> is on the side of the highway along I-90. It's the first time in my life I've ever done a triple take, ever. It, there, it would look like a, a staged Abercrombie ad. There were two muscly college boys and four girls, two of whom were topless, and they were diving from this little waterfall into this little like hot spring or pond or something on the side of the highway. And right as I looked over, I did this triple, like, I couldn't believe my eyes. Like, what is going on here? This looks like what every you know, corporate consumerist ad is trying to recreate. It's happening in this place, right? Mm-hmm. And then I saw a bald eagle swoop by. Wait, that was a seagull. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan saw the seagull. They get the the gist of it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I saw this bald eagle, right? And I think the only thing that could have been like more cliche American pie would have been if it was, if it literally was like toting a American flag in its talons. And we just kind of looked at each other and said, we've got to come back out here for something. And so... We, we came back out here to write a book called Everything That Remains. And Ryan and I moved to this cabin in the middle of nowhere. It's in between Butte and Missoula on the side of a mountain in the middle of Montana winter. So we, I got out here October 3rd, and it was snowing the day I arrived, October 3rd. And uh, we spent uh, a winter here writing, writing that book. But when I came out here, I let go of everything. Before I, I didn't rent a storage locker, but I got rid of my bed. 
I got rid of my limited furniture that I did have remaining, my, my kitchen table that I, I enjoyed. I got rid of I had a little tiny desk. Uh, you can actually take a, a, a tour of my apartment back in Dayton, Ohio at theminimalists.com slash apartment, and you can basically see everything I got rid of. Now, we rented a cabin in the middle of nowhere. It was already furnished, but it was very limited furnishings. It was a couch in front of the fireplace. It was two beds and a table. And I think that's it, Ryan. Yeah, I can't think of any other furniture we had in there. And we went to, there's a little town there, Phillipsburg, Montana. There's a a little thrift shop, and we bought a little broken desk. It was $3. (laughs) That was my writing desk. You helped me reassemble it. We we bought some screws for maybe 50 cents or something and reassembled this desk. and Reinforced it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it was was coming apart. Yeah. Yeah. And so... (laughs) So we, 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 for $3, had a writing desk and, and then spent the winter writing a book. And we really didn't need much. And so when I came out here, it was just what would fit into my vehicle. And that was it. But that, that creative limitation that forced me to let go of things that I knew I, I didn't want. Because my other option was that I didn't want to bring with me. My other option was, of course, to rent a U-Haul. And so that's James's problem right now is, I don't want to rent a U-Haul. Well, the question is, what can fit in your car? And while we're on tour, I've talked to so many people who have said, I remember the happiest time of my life. And this, this comes up all the time. I remember the happiest time of my life was when I was first going off to college. I was first moving away from home. And everything I owned fit into my vehicle. And I was like, wow, okay, well, what's preventing that from happening now? Now, obviously, there are circumstances that that do prevent that from happening, but we can still live intentionally within our circumstance and get it down to the bare necessities. And I'll tell you, moving is the best time to reassess the things you own. That's why Ryan did his packing party. He wasn't actually moving. He pretended he was moving because he knew that by forcing himself to put everything in the boxes, he would question what was going to bring value to his life. So, James, you're at the perfect time for a packing party. I would encourage you to check out our TEDx talk over at theminimalists.com slash TEDx. It's Ryan's whole story of him boxing everything up and slowly unpacking only the items he needed. So people are going to ask, well, what did you regret? Did, were there any regrets of the things that you got rid of or left behind in Ohio when you moved out to Montana? And I'll tell you, the only regret I have... Was his Precious Moments collection. Yes, besides my Precious Moments collection. No, uh, seriously, the only regret I have or that I had was not getting rid of everything that I put into my grandma's garage. That's the only regret I had. When I went back, I was like, wow, you're supposed to be a minimalist, but you held on to these like four or five things, which I suppose would be like a lot lighter than what... you know, most people would just get a big storage unit and put everything in there. Sure. Um, but but in all honesty, though, I, I realized that, wow, like all this stuff that I thought I might come back and use, I'm, I'm definitely not going to use. I wish I would have just got rid of it all. Yeah. You know, I, I find that it's very difficult for us to let go of our own stuff, right? And so maybe, uh, w- like when you did your packing party, Ryan, it was much easier for me to come over there to your house and just... You know, swoop things into 50-gallon trash bags. Right, and, and yeah. then quickly you run off to, to the donation warehouse or wherever and you donate all of Ryan's mugs and extra you know, glasses and BlackBerry chargers and all this stuff. Because if I'm letting go of it, I don't have any sort of sentimental attachment to it, no emotional attachment to it. I just want it out of there. And and But if it's my stuff, of course, it's like, wait, I'm going to need this. Oh, wait, just in case. Da, da, da. And it's like, well, wait a minute. 
Maybe someone else can give me a clean pair of eyes. Someone else in my life can help me add some perspective to what I'm doing. So, James, have a packing party. It's a party only when you have some friends come over and help you out with the process. So make it fun because decluttering by itself is boring. You can actually enjoy the process. Now is a great time to do that. Our next question is from Pat in San Antonio. Well, when it comes to cars, my whole life I've always had an older car. And I had that because, you know, obvious money reasons, it's cheaper, ATC, but it's always had problems and that always causes stress and that leads to more expenses and that's not anything that I really want to deal with. And uh, so recently I finally broke down, I got myself a newer car, so I don't have to worry about all those, all those problems, but now it's a newer car and now I got all these payments and then that's causing stress and things that I don't really want to deal with and it adds complications to my life. It's not something that's valuable to me. Um, but regardless, your transportation is something that you need and something that you can't really get around without. Recently, I tried to do bicycling. Um, I have a commute to work. takes about three miles. I tried it on a bike. takes me about 20 minutes to get there. Um, but here in San Antonio, Texas, this is not a bike-friendly environment. And it is extremely dangerous. <laughs> and then that causes a whole lot of stress and doesn't really add value to my life. So I just wanted to get your guys' opinion on that. Pat, you went into debt to buy a car. That's probably the biggest uh, alarm right there, man. Uh, I mean, for me, I avoid debt at all costs. Um, that is why, you know, when I did have this nice big car payment, I traded that in. Um, actually, I didn't even trade it in. I sold it on Craigslist, and then with like the couple grand I had left over, um, I went and got a car uh, with no with no car payment. So, you know, if you're if you're asking whether or not it's okay to go into debt to get a car, the majority of the time I'm going to say no. I understand that sometimes that has to be a tool that we have in our lives, and sometimes you have to go into debt to get a tool to get from point A to point B so you can pay the bills. Um, but it sounds like you had a car that was working and, and then went out and got a new car. Um, that is something I would, I would definitely not recommend uh, for other people to do. If you've got a car that you don't have a car payment on, like run that thing into the ground. Because ultimately, if you're going into debt, you really can't afford it. Yeah, so, I mean, if, if, you, if, you, if you're borrowing money for a car, that, that tells me if you need a loan, you can't afford that car. I, I would never encourage someone to have a car payment. A, a car payment means you're tied to whatever, whatever that income is. And quite often, and remember, remember when we were back in the corporate world, we had uh, one of the, the stores you managed. I remember driving up to it one day. So you have a bunch of entry-level employees working there, Ryan. And, and they made good money because they were in sales. And some of the top salespeople in the company were at your store. And I pulled up, there was a Corvette, two Hummers, and a Lexus all right next to each other, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, these people don't actually own these cars. They can't afford them. They think they can afford the car payment right. on those. Affording a car payment doesn't mean you can afford the car. You can afford the car if you can pay cash for the car. Mm -hmm. If you can pay cash for the car, then, th then you can afford it. If you go into debt, that literally means you're not able to afford the car. You're, you're able to, to get a loan for the car. So therefore, you don't own the car. The title is, is not in your name. And, and so you, you said, you know, there was a lot of hassle with car repairs, but then you bought this car and there's worry and stress uh, where, where the two words are stuck out. That's a lot more hassle to me going in debt and having, having that burden uh, held over my head. So 
Uh, Pat, what I'd recommend to you is if you can't pay off that car, I'd recommend selling it and finding a car that you can afford. There are many people who can afford a $500 car, a $1,000 car, $2,000 car, and over time, you can upgrade to something that you can't afford. That $2,000 car becomes a $5,000 car. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with owning a nice car as long as you can afford it. Yeah, and he said he's three miles away from work. Um, our office is actually it's, it's uh, 2.8 miles away from my home. I walk to work all the time. I bike to work. I know that uh, you said San Antonio isn't the friendliest biking city. Um, I, I've been in San Antonio. It was probably the friendliest biking city out of all the cities I visited in Texas. Now, uh, that doesn't mean that biking that makes biking safe because I think biking is inherently uh, dangerous, just like driving a car statistically is inherently dangerous. Um, it's up to you to really decide on on the best way to get to work. Um, but I love walking to work. I mean, last week, uh, I was averaging like 12,000 step, uh, 12, steps a day. And a lot of that was because I was walking back and forth uh, from the office, which was a, a three-mile jaunt. It That's probably like, what, seven, eight miles, something like that? Yeah, it's about yeah, it's about six miles. And then wow. I, uh, oh, oh, 12,000. Yeah, 12,000 steps. It's about six, six and a half miles, something like that. Um, but but my point is is that there are other alternatives. I understand you want to have a comfortable ride to work, um, especially for folks listening out there who are like, well, I got a you know one hour commute to work. My car is everything. I pretty much live in my car, and I understand that in those situations you want to have a comfortable ride. But Pat, this is where you need to decide what is better for you: a comfortable ride or uh, saving that money each month. And that's really not for Josh and I to decide. That's for you to decide. But but if you're asking Josh and I's opinion, yes, get rid of that car payment. And ultimately, if you're only three miles away from work, then then walk to work. Even if it's raining, like I got a raincoat. Um, if, if I'm biking, um, it's it sucks riding in the rain. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I have ways to keep myself dry and uh, to, to make it a, a good commute to work. Ryan, your 12 or 13-year-old Toyota Corolla is probably worth thousand two thousand bucks by yeah, now at this maybe, point maybe three thousand okay but my, my point is that it's a comfortable ride and and i mean it leaks when it rains but that's all right <laughs> right right but my, my point is that you can buy a thousand dollar car two thousand dollar car that is comfortable for your commute absolutely the the problem we get into is so many people are get become tied to their job that they, they buy this car to get them to their job so they can afford to buy the car to pay for the car that gets them to their job that they need for the car that gets them to their job that they need for the car that gets them to their job. It's just a circle of, of debt and anxiety and stress and it's not necessary. When you realize you don't have debt anymore and you don't have a car payment, the freedom of that means, okay, if I want to upgrade to, to another car, I can do that. I'm just going to have to save some money and allocate it to that appropriately. If you have any debt, though, you don't want to take on more debt. Yeah. You want to be able to pay off the debt, and then you can upgrade to the car that is more comfortable for you. Yeah, I would say even if you find yourself in a situation where you're like, I have to buy a car because I have to get to work. And if I don't have a car, then I'm not going to be able to work and pay my bills, which part of that might be a car payment. If you absolutely have to take on debt, because I know there is a listener right now who is saying, oh, you know, not everyone can just afford to buy a car with cash. That's absolutely correct. Not everyone can afford to buy a car with cash. If you do have to go into debt for a car, then get the absolute lowest freaking debt that you can. Yeah, two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars. There's plenty of two, three hundred dollar cars out. Absolutely, there. yeah. My first car was three hundred bucks, and it ran great. It was not 
the uh, most comfortable ride. It smelled a little funny. <laughs> yeah, and it might not. It might not have air conditioning. It might not have the. You might have a cassette player still. Whatever. Uh, the point being is, yeah, if you don't have two or three hundred dollars, I would even recommend not taking on debt for that. Personally, I would say save up for it and, and use public transportation. Walk, bike, do something else in the meantime, so you can get the two to three hundred dollars to 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 pay for the the clunker basically it's okay to drive a clunker we've all driven a clunker at some point in time what's not okay is being a slave to debt yeah and it's okay to drive a clunker at 30 years old or 40 years old or 50 years old i think i think that's that's something that i struggled with when i first got i went from you know brand new uh decked out you know toyota um avalon car to this 2004 toyota corolla and i remember actually leaving a uh, i was on this board that i was still helping out with um, when I was in Dayton, I was leaving a meeting, and one of the board members was walking out to the parking lot. And as I was getting into my car, he was like, "That's your car, man! I can't believe I don't like it. I don't like it." And right away, I actually felt good because I was like, "Huh? I thought that guy was a nice guy, and it turns out I want nothing to do with him." So it actually kind of helps me uh, figure out who <laughs> who I really want to hang out with, who I don't want to really hang out with. But what I'll say is, if anyone is judging the type of car you drive, uh, then those are the type of people you don't want to be around. It is never, uh, you should never be ashamed of having to, to drive a little bit of a clunker to avoid getting into all that debt. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And Ryan, that brings up a really interesting point. You know, so millennials, so the, the, uh, Ryan and I are just on sort of the tail end of Gen X. And Can we call people, ourselves millennials? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> um, Does not make it accurate? We're, we're often lumped into either either category or both. We're somewhere right on the cusp there. But, but younger millennials, so we're, we'll both be 35 this year, so people younger than 30 for sure are, are applying much less status and prestige to vehicles because they don't need them as much anymore. A lot of millennials are moving to uh, urban hubs, and so you have Uber, you have Lyft, you have you know, uh, public transportation, obviously, where a car is no longer a, a status symbol. A car is simply a means to an end. It gets you from point A to point A, just like the bus or the the subway or an Uber. It's going to get you where you need to go. And I'm seeing more and more, especially with people in Silicon Valley. Tim Ferriss, yeah, he talks about he has like a, a, a he still has a clunker. Yeah, this guy's probably multimillionaire, but his car just doesn't matter to him. And to so many people, the status symbol that is the car, that is days of old. Cars are no longer a status symbol. You know what a status symbol is? Not having a car payment. Yeah. I'd much rather not have a car payment. That's my status symbol. Freedom, that's my status symbol. Our next question is from Ryan in Tempe, Arizona. I'm 22 years old and like to think I'm an active minimalist. Uh, on the contrary, I have a high-paying job at a technology solutions company, Avnet. Uh, where I focus on business development and growth. Uh, I focus on interactions with new startup companies and trying to help them find correct technologies to make the future business uh, smoother and more efficient, stuff like uh, big data analytics to cloud computing. So I love my job, and I'm completely content with working 50 hours a week, and I love every second of it. Nevertheless, um I'm not like most corporate world goers in that I live very simply. Uh, I have what I like to call a cozy studio apartment, a bed, a fold-up table, and a dresser. I'm constantly evaluating and reevaluating each and every one of my possessions. 
functionality in life. Uh, recently, I got rid of my couch. I thought, hey, I'm not sitting on it enough per month. Uh, and I'm also down to owning just 15 shirts. So I know, I know, of course, it's not a competition or challenge of who has least. I'm just kind of like, you know, setting the background of me. So where does your income go then, you might ask? And to put it simply, travel. I have a big, big problem compulsively buying plane tickets <laughs> and going on international trips. Um, so, yeah, recently, the other day, I just bought a ticket to Mexico City to go for the Day of the Dead festival. And I just saw that James Bond movie and the opening scene had that Day of the Dead in Mexico City, and I just bought a plane ticket like that. I also have a couple tickets to go to France, and I'm going back to Brazil in September. Um, Moving forward, they say like, travel is the only expenditure that will make you richer, and I thoroughly love and enjoy each trip. However, it is and has put me in a world of debt. Um, so back in college when I was doing that, when I got my four-year degree in economics, uh, I had tuition, room and board, all covered on scholarship. And I still managed to leave college with about 25K in debt in student loans. <laughs> that was all to travel, let me put it that way. Uh, now in one year of working, I've also added about 10K in credit card debt from the both of plane tickets and travel expenditures. You know, Ryan, you really had me up until the debt part. I mean, you, you say you have a high-paying job, but how do you have a high-paying job and you're going into debt, but you're still a minimalist, you, you, meaning you're not spending this money on on stuff, on superfluous things, but you're acting on impulse. So, yes, let's let's talk about this. Let's, yeah, let's talk about let's making, have an intervention. making really, really good money, but spending better money. Oh, that's a bad equation. Uh, let's, let's give you an example. If I make $100,000 a year, but spend $200,000 a year on travel... What's going to happen? I'm going to go into debt. Now, Now, Ryan, you have 25000 in student loans and another 10000 in credit card debt from traveling. You're going to have to pay that off before you can travel anymore. That's the first thing you got to do. You've got to get rid of any debt before you allow yourself to travel again. And then once you do that, the way to, to do it more deliberately is ask yourself some questions. First off, you need to stave off the impulse, right? If you're making these, these impulsive decisions, that's, that's okay if you can afford it, but it's not as meaningful if, if you were to just plan. It's not as meaningful as if you were to just plan it out in advance. And so, so quite often when I'm going to purchase a new material possession that costs more than a certain amount of money, I will put it off for at least 30 days. And I'll say, if I still want it in 30 days, if it still makes sense, then I'll get it. So the questions that I ask is, will it add value to my life? But then also, can I afford it? Because just because something's going to add value to my life doesn't mean that I can afford it. So I need to be able to answer both of those questions affirmatively before I bring it into my life. And the same goes for traveling. You can have these great experiences, and I applaud you for doing that. Yes, you will become a much wealthier man in a different way, not monetarily wealthy, but experience-rich by, by going on these experiences, but only if you can afford them. And so you're going to have to find a way first to pay down your debt. I'm going to recommend uh, an essay that Ryan and I wrote, a very long, drawn-out process. It's called Financial Freedom, Five Difficult Steps to Getting Out of Debt. And those difficult steps are intentional. You can also go back and listen to our, our money episode, our, our money podcast. 
And we'll put both of those in the show notes, or you can just go to theminimalists.com slash freedom. That's that financial freedom essay. That's the exact plan we use to get out of debt. You've got to start there. You can't keep adding to the debt. The best way to get out of the hole is to stop digging. Yeah, so traveling, I totally agree with you, Ryan. Traveling is a great way to grow. It's a great thing to uh, spend money on, buying experiences over things. But as Josh said, to reiterate, if you don't have the money, stop spending it. The good news is, though, is that you can still travel. You don't have to be a millionaire. You don't have to, uh, you know, have a ton of money to travel. I mean, you may not be able to go to Day of the Dead impulsively or impulsively buy a a ticket to another destination across the world, but you can still find ways to travel on a very, very cheap budget um, to to, to still suffice that itch and to still have those growth experiences, because it still is important to have those experiences for sure. You're just going to have to approach it a little bit differently. Yeah, and we'll get get into some more questions here in a moment about how to travel on, on more of a budget but realize, just because you're not staying in the W Hotel in every single city doesn't mean that you're not able to enjoy the experience. We've had some of the most profound experiences that, that Ryan and I have had have cost us literally nothing. You know, the best things in life are free, they say, and I know it's a, it's a cliche, but it ends up being true. The things you remember aren't the things that generally cost the most. The things you remember are, are the overall experiences, your interactions with other people, other cultures, other communities. And that will allow you to grow in a way that racking up the debt on your credit card certainly will not. In fact, racking up that debt is going to prevent you from growing in many ways because it's going to anchor you to whatever you're doing and keep you from being free. You know, we'd love to hear what you have to say. If you have any minimalism tips or or comments about traveling, feel free to give us a call. Leave us a voicemail, 406-219-7839. We'll air our favorite comments and tips on a following episode. Okay, let's move on to our hashtag Ask the Minimalists lightning round, where we answer questions from social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram, at The Minimalists, and Facebook.com slash The Minimalists. All right, our first question is from LBJ. What's the one item that you find the most useful when traveling? For me, it is my backpack. I got a uh, mission, mission, sh- mission workshop. Mission workshop. They're a company out of uh, San Francisco. Thanks for the help on that. Uh, mission workshop bag. It is a. I don't know how many liters it is. It's a lot of liters. <laughs> I want to say it's probably like a thirty-five liter. If it's not forty-five liters, I got like the biggest bag that they have. But what I love about this bag is that I can literally like fold my clothes all nice and neat and uh, they will stay folded and, and wrinkle-free uh, in there. Um, I can put my laptop in there. Uh, literally everything I have goes in there. Um, or I could just cram everything in there if I really, really wanted to. Uh, but, but that's what's really nice about it. I can, I can carry everything with me that I need. And then, oh, by the way, it is that perfect size for a carry-on bag Right, still fits uh, in the overhead fly. compartment. Yeah, so I don't have. Yeah, I don't have to carry multiple bags. I don't have to check it. It's just the perfect size uh, f- to to help me bring what I need and to prevent me from having to check a bag. I got a, a new bag recently because I'm finally retiring my my Malcolm Fontier bag after uh, bringing it on the road many many times and beating it, beating it up uh, repeatedly. It, it has finally seen its its last days. Uh, the new bag I'm going to be trying out for this tour is uh, called, it's by a company called Manol, and I supported their Kickstarter. Our, our friend Leo 
told me about the bag. And so I can't really recommend it yet because I haven't used it, but we'll see, you know, behind the scenes if it, if it really works. So if uh, you want to check it out, you can just follow us on Instagram and all those fun places on social media. I'm sure we'll have some photos. But for me, uh, there are a few things that <laughs> I keep on the road. We already talked about a hair dryer earlier on. That is one thing I do bring with me. I always bring chapstick with me, but that's something I just have in my pocket all the time. So I don't know if that'd be a travel effect. And then in our Pack Like the Minimalists video, uh, one, one secret of mine is I always pack one red pair of underwear. Now, that's not a, a superstitious thing. It is just that when we are out trying to wash our clothes at some point, I know exactly how many clean pair of underwear and dirty pair of underwear I have. It's all My underwear is black, but it's separated by this red pair of underwear. Take notes. The secret to underwear. Yes, the, the secret to minimalist travel is having one red pair of underwear. No, and it works really well for me, except there was one exception. Uh, I accidentally washed all my clean clothes once and <laughs> forgot to wash the dirty clothes <laughs> because I wasn't paying attention. So I wrote an essay about this uh, a similar uh, story that happened after that. I accidentally bleached all of my, my, my color clothes. Smooth. Yeah, and, and it just taught me to be more deliberate. And even with these menial tasks like washing dishes or washing clothes, it was the best reason for being in the moment. Now, I tell you, back in, in the day, my corporate self, Ryan, I would have freaked out and been so upset. And then I just realized, I just sort of shrugged my shoulders and said, oh, well, I mean, those clothes are ruined, and that's okay. They're just clothes. And it sucks because I'm going to have to spend some money to replace them. But lesson learned, I need to be more deliberate, even with the smallest mundane tasks in my life. Yeah, so at least you didn't accidentally drink the bleach. That would have been much worse. <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> There's and, no going back from that. No, I don't think so. So I, I pack very late when, when we're on tour. And, and the things that I use, whether it's the coffee that we pack or my red underwear, hair dryer, toiletry kit with shampoo and conditioner and deodorant and some lotion. You know, I, I have stuff that I use, but I don't pack anything that I don't use. And I think that's, that's what's really important. Tija asks, which travel experiences have given you most so far and why? The, the best travel experiences. For me, it's got to be Laos. I was just there in October, and it was the first third world country I'd ever, I had ever been to. And it had totally just changed my perspective on on my life and my surroundings. Like I thought that I appreciated everything that I have now, and I can tell you that going to Laos helps me to appreciate uh, everything even more. It's like uh, it's funny because I didn't want to bring any just in case items to Laos. As I was leaving, uh, Mariah she she's like, "Hey, you might want to bring some Neosporin in case you know you get cut or something. You know, you want bring that with you." And I'm like, "No, I'm not going to take that with me. They've got Neosporin over there." Well, when I was over there, I broke my toe and like split it open. And when I went to the doctor, they literally gave me some gauze, uh, iodine, and like some tape <laughs> to tape the gauze down with. Yeah, there was no Neosporin there. I, I kind of like so people always ask like, "What's the one regret?" Like. I guess I kind of regret not having the Neosporin, but I was still taken care of. Like, the Neosporin really wouldn't have done anything that much uh, better for me. Um, but I got to tell you, though, being in a situation where people have dirt floors, uh, they have holes in the roofs, they have uh, dirt roads, um, they are literally burning trash on the side of the streets, my broken toe 
was nothing. Every time I felt any pain, all I could think was, Ryan, you are so lucky to be able and, and, and go home after this and, and get some more medical treatment if you absolutely need it. You, I have access to that. And it's not just about having the amenities uh, available to me, meaning like, you know, it's great that I can go to the store and get Zyrtec, or it's great that I have central air, or it's great that I have, you know, paved roads at home. But just having access to, to certain treatments is, is really what I started to appreciate so much. So, you know, now when I think travel, now when I think vacation, now when I think, oh, man, I want to go out and, and take Mariah somewhere and experience something new, you know, I'm not thinking Australia on the beach. I'm not thinking Florida. Uh, I'm thinking third world. Like, that is by far the most um, I, have ever, I have ever gotten out of, out of any experiences is, is witnessing uh, a third world country. It, it completely changed uh, my perspective on, on the life that I have. For me, I didn't really travel much for the first 31 years of my life, first 30 years of my life for sure. Spent most of my time in Dayton and Cincinnati, Ohio, and, and didn't really leave the Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, tri-state area. And, and so when we first went out on the road and just started having these experiences where we met new people and saw new cities, and I found ways, even in an attenuated period of time, to just search out one thing in a city. And especially in, in 2014 when we did the 100 City Tour, in every city there were basically four things that we would look for. We'd look for good coffee, a good coffee shop. And there was a reason for that. Like, Not only did we want good coffee, but that tends to be a cultural hub. It's that third space for many people between work and home. And so it, it becomes a community hub, and you get to meet really interesting people there. You get to have shared experiences in a place like that. And plus, you can sit down and, and have great conversations. It, it, it lends itself to having a really good conversation. So coffee shops, we always look for the great coffee shop. We'll use Google or Yelp or, or wherever to find that. Uh, and then uh, Thai food. We, we have tried really great Thai food in probably 40 states at this point, and still the best Thai restaurant in the country is in Dayton, Ohio, Thai 9. Uh, we'll also look for sushi while we're in a town. Uh, but one of the things I really liked we started doing when we were on the Everything That Remains tour is uh, museums. Anytime we were in a city, we would go to a, a museum, and anything from just phenomenal museums where the architecture was great, like in Des Moines or, or places like that, uh, to places that had really great local art, like Boise, Idaho, and, and just memorable experiences where you get to experience the community, you get to experience a little flavor uh, of the creativity of what's going on in that city. And then also, because we were on a book tour, just a local indie bookshop that's there, uh, another great cultural hub. And, I mean, I love bookstores personally, but finding a great indie bookshop when, when you're in town. I find that we find those four things, you get a, a rather... Uh, well-rounded, relatively well-rounded experience of the city if you're just going to be there for a day or so. I'd love to hear what, what other people have to say about that as well. Zaneb asks, do you have any tips on how to pack lightly? Yeah. Good question, Zaneb. Next question. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, we have plenty of tips on how to, on how to uh, pack lightly. Uh, first off, you only need one pair of jeans. Uh, there, you could look online. Why do I only need one pair of jeans? Why should I never wash my jeans? There is plenty of articles out there to read on why you need only one pair of jeans. Uh, you need only one pair of shorts to double uh, that can double as workout pants, swim trunks, 
or you know going out in. Um, Josh mentioned it earlier. I got the same shorts as him. They're just a black pair of, of shorts. Um, I will wear those swimming, or I will wear those out to dinner. Uh, they are they are nice enough to do that. So try to find some things that 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 will that will be multifunctional. And then uh, we talked about this earlier as well. Just pack pack for a week. If you're gonna, uh, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. Pack for a week at the most. So if you're going to be gone for three weeks, pack for a week. If you're going to be gone for five days, then just pack for five days. You don't need to pack for a week. But, but uh, if you find yourself going above and, uh, traveling above and beyond a week, usually uh, you will be able to find some type of laundry facility, laundry service to, to do laundry. That, that has certainly helped me. Especially like the jeans thing. I know that sounds really uh, like trite and simple, but that really helped me out because jeans takes up a lot of space in a suitcase. And I used to have uh, three to five pair of jeans at all times. It stems from being in school where, like, if you wore the same thing twice in a row, you got ridiculed. So I always made sure to have, like, three to five pair of jeans and alternating those out. Well, when you bring three, three pair of jeans with you, that can very easily take up a, a large percentage of room in your suitcase. So the one pair of jeans thing, like, that was huge for me. But there are a few tips there for you, Zineb. I hope that helps. Yeah, I think that the just-in-case rule will definitely help you out. You can find that at our website theminimalists.com slash J-I-C. That'll be your, your biggest tip for sure. Don't pack anything just in case. Danielle from California asks, do you set limits on things you can buy when traveling? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I set limits in my life when I'm not traveling as well, and I think that's important. But when I'm traveling, I, I'm especially aware of what I'm bringing in because I have to carry it with me. And so generally, while I'm traveling, I purchase very little. I try not to buy anything at all. And then when I'm at home, I still have those same limits. And that question, does this add value to my life? Is it going to serve a purpose? Is it going to bring me joy? That's even more important while I'm traveling because I know I don't want to add to the weight, the literal weight that is on my shoulders now, Danielle, you're in uh, California. I'd love to send you, we have a bunch of screenings of our documentary, so I'd love to give you a couple tickets to Minimalism, a documentary about the important things. I hope you can make it to one of our screenings there. We'll have Sean send you uh, a couple tickets so you can bring a friend. Uh, there's a whole segment about travel in the documentary as well. Mary writes, sleeping accommodations, tent, car, some other way? Mary, yes, all of those things we, we have used. Uh, sans the tent. I have definitely slept in tents. Josh isn't much of a tent guy. But I do tents. <laughs> but we have definitely slept in our car. We have slept on hardwood floors. We have uh, slept at couch, couch surfers' homes. Uh, we've done Airbnb. Pretty much the way Josh and I approach travel is what can we afford? So on that very first tour that we went on in 2011, we didn't have a whole lot of money, so we slept on a lot of hardwood floors. We spent a lot of nights in our car. Uh, now that, that uh, uh, we can afford it a little bit more, um, yeah, we will, we will totally go get an Airbnb, which are, are kind of my favorite places to stay. I mean, a hotel, don't get me wrong, that's, that's, that's an okay, like, boxed experience. But when you, when you go to an Airbnb, you just get a little bit more uh, of a feel for the community and... Uh, you can meet some really cool people, uh, whether it's the homeowner or whether it's the neighbors or uh, whether it's uh, reading the guest book of past guests. It's, it's really cool to, to, to stay in those places. Tress writes, we're traveling with two small kids and I'd love not to overpack, but I also don't want to have to buy something I forgot at home. You know, for me, I went 
Becca and her daughter Ella and I all went to their family's house for Christmas last year. We spent something like nine days out there. And so obviously we had to pack for Ella as well and, and Becca. Now, here's going to be a common criticism I, I expect we're going to get here. Yeah, but you're a couple guys. It's so much easier for guys to pack. Becca embarrasses me every time because we'll, we'll pack up the car. and She has a suitcase, and it's a relatively large suitcase. It's only a suitcase. But then when we get to wherever we're going, like we were at the container house last weekend, she opened it up, and there's virtually nothing in there. It's like it's mostly empty, but it's her only suitcase, so she just packs what she needs. And I am constantly amazed. She inspires me to want to pack less. <laughs> Minimalist. When, yeah, she's, she's totally showing me up. And uh, it's the same with Ella, I found, is we don't have to pack all these toys and games and things. Kids are content with virtually anything. You know, uh, Ella is content when I blow up a balloon for her. She can have fun until it pops with that balloon. And I realized that we don't have to pack all this stuff. The kids aren't going to miss it. They aren't going to realize they're going to have fun with the experience, not with the stuff. And so, yes, you're going to have to pack some stuff for the kids. Obviously, we had to pack stuff for Ella. We had to bring her diapers. She was still in diapers at the time. And we had to bring extra change of clothes because she does get dirty. But we realized that all the superfluous stuff that we had the desire to pack at first, I better get this doll, I better get this blanket, I better get this and this and this. No, what are the essentials? So that's a question I'm going to ask anytime I'm packing something for Ella is, what is essential? Now, I'm not going to ask Ella what's essential because she's going to have seven suitcases full of, of toys and imaginary toys, and she, she's going to pack up the, the, the kitchen utensils. She would bring everything in the house because she enjoys playing with that stuff in the moment. But the truth is, what's going to be essential for this trip? And yes, there is a difference between just-in-case items and just-for-when items. You're going to have to pack some diapers because you are going to need them. Those are just for when you need the diaper. You're going to bring an extra pair of clothes because if you have a two- or three-year-old, you know they're going to soil the clothes, so you're going to need more than what you would bring for an adult. But that's okay. You don't have to pack all the superfluous stuff in the meantime. We found that out during Christmas. Everything we, we brought, we used. We were able to wash uh, the stuff when, when we needed to. And we didn't pack anything uh, that was excess, and it worked out really well. Lucy writes, what if I like bringing souvenirs back? How can I find one in line with a minimalist lifestyle? Lucy, I'll tell you, the only souvenirs that I've purchased over the last, uh, going on six years since we started the website, are postcards that I've sent to my girlfriend. And she has compiled those together. She's making a nice little art project out of it. Um, but, but it doesn't, you don't have to get a souvenir that is, uh, you know, if you go to Paris, you don't have to bring home a little Eiffel Tower. If you go to, uh, you know, Seattle, you don't have to bring home a little, a little statue of the Space Needle. You could certainly take pictures of those things to help trigger those memories. Um, those are actually some of my favorite souvenirs are, are pictures that I've taken with folks. Uh, when I was hiking the Appalachian Trail, um, I, I kept like wanting to go which I only hiked the Smokies portion of it. It's not like I did the whole thing. Um, but I kept wanting to uh, grab rocks or sticks or something to take back with me. Ultimately, I didn't do that, but I, I took a picture with this group of folks we ran into, and that's like my best memory of the whole trip was running into that group of folks. So there are some very simple things you can do when it comes to souvenirs. All right, let's move on to right here, right now. This is where we really quickly get to talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. As you know, we have a documentary coming out, Find Your Nearest Theater, at minimalismfilm.com. You can see the trailer there. You can follow all of our behind-the-scenes antics on tour. 
Uh, we're at Facebook.com slash The Minimalists, Instagram, Periscope, and Twitter at The Minimalists. And also, I've got a, a writing workshop coming up in June. You can find all the details for that if you want to learn how to write better. That's what it's called, How to Write Better. It's a one-day workshop, two-hour workshop, June 26th. Limited seating, howtowritebetter.org. And finally, here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Hey, guys. Ray from New Jersey. I just finished listening to Podcast 17 about health and felt like I, you guys were directly talking to me. I turned 50 last year, completely changed my diet. I started eating paleo. Actually, through the paleo world is how I found you guys in the first place. I've lost 27 pounds and haven't felt this good in a long time. Keep up the good work. Hi, guys. My name is Anne Marie. I'm calling from Marshall, Minnesota. I listened recently to your money episode, and there was a lot of talk on that episode about student debt. So I wanted to share a resource that's been an essential piece of my experience, which is a program called the National Health Service Corps, and in this program, health service providers who agree to provide full-time service in underserved places in the United States, um, in exchange for doing so, get uh, loan repayment from the federal government. So, in my case in particular, I was able to pay off about $80,000 in student loan, which was significant because I had a graduate degree. Um, by working in an underserved area where I have continued to live with my husband and children and has really also, I think, living in a rural area kind of supported my minimalism journey. So the National Health Service Corps, NHSC, uh, you can find them online, and they are a great resource for getting rid of student loan debt. Hi. Hey, this is Tierney in Central Oregon. And I wanted to make a comment um, on Podcast 18 on writing. Uh, JFM, that was an excellent podcast. Or should I say that was an excellently, very super wonderfully done podcast. I was trying to sneak in a bunch of adverbs. Uh, I have um, a tip or a thought um, from based on some of the um, – uh, tips that you gave, and that's related to blogging. So I have uh, my Tierney Creates um, blog, and my platform is WordPress. You guys uh, use WordPress also. And I find that when I, um, you know, do a blog post, what I've been doing is just using the, you know, going right to posting, and then I, I think what I am doing is crafting this wonderful blog post, and I'm editing as I go along, which you said you're not supposed to do, and I think every sentence is beautiful, and then I post it, and then the next day, when I'm uh, checking out, you know, um, reader comments, I go, I go look at the post again, and I'm like, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? I find grammatical errors. And I find flow errors, and I find some spelling errors, and I'm like, I can't believe it. I had done all that effort, you know, the previous day while I was writing the blog post in WordPress, you know, making it so perfect. So what I started doing after listening to your podcast is writing, composing my posts in like in a different media medium like um, Microsoft Word or uh, you know Pages or something like that. And then letting it sit, you know, make, uh, you know, and then going back the next, then going the next day and editing it. And when after, you know, I've had a day away from it, just like you had suggested. And so then I think I'm having a better product. So I'm, I'm getting a better product to post. So. 
All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalist, give us a call at 406-219-7839. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for And you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it So tear your eyes away Or tear